You're listening to the Formation Church Podcast. Formation exists to be a safe place for hurting people to find healing relationship with Jesus. For more information about the ministry of Formation in Salt Lake City, Utah, visit our website at formationslc.com. today by talking about the attitude of reverence. Uh, Now, to revere something or someone means to regard them with deep respect, admiration, or awe. And so reverence involves a profound sense of honor and esteem for the qualities, the achievements, or the significance of the object of reverence. So it's possible for us to revere individuals. It's possible for us to revere even ideals and traditions, objects, even places that hold some amount of special significance to us. So for instance, last summer, Tammy and I took a short trip to New York City. And on our first morning exploring Midtown Manhattan, we got to visit St. Patrick's Cathedral. Uh, If you've never been there, it's stunning, inside and out. Originally opened in 1879, it's been referred to as the greatest Gothic cathedral in the New World. And having seen it in person, I can confidently say it is stunning, again, inside and out. It occupies an entire city block in Manhattan, It's constructed almost entirely of white marble with these spires that you can see in this picture that reach 330 feet into the air. Uh, On the inside, there's over 4,000 stained glass panels, and the front of the church is home to its massive organ that gets played every single day and has right now over 9,000 pipes. And so if you ever get the chance to visit St. Patrick's, you'll see for yourself that it perfectly accomplishes the intent, the original intent of Gothic cathedrals, which is that it inspires a sense of reverence. The very moment that you walk in, you can't help but feel small by comparison. And there's this almost immediate compulsion to get very quiet. You don't need, I would argue, you don't even have to be a Christian in general, nor a Catholic in particular, to feel it. The space itself provokes a sense of reverence. And my reason for bringing this up today is simple. From top to bottom and from front to back, the Christian scriptures teach us that reverence is the appropriate response to the character and the nature of God. Reverence is always the appropriate response to the character and nature of God. And our text this morning is a prime example of a place that we learn this. The teacher of Ecclesiastes is going to move from the language of reflection, which we've seen a lot of, like a lot of him going like, I have observed under the sun, and then some depressing lesson that he teaches on the other end. So he's going to move from that language of reflection to the language of instruction this morning. And here's the lesson that we're meant to learn. Our attitude toward God informs the way that we approach him in relationship. Our attitude toward God informs the way that we approach him in relationship. And as we will see, the appropriate attitude is always one of reverence. So the teacher's instruction this morning reminds us that we have to be ever aware of our tendency to relate with God as though he is only an intimate friend and not also the transcendent God of the universe. And I would argue, especially in a church like ours, where we really tend to emphasize the intimate nature of relationship with God, we have to be careful of this, that we don't lose sight of the fact that he is both. One of the most important components of 
of historically orthodox Christian theology is the biblically informed conviction that God is both imminent, meaning intimate and near to us, and transcendent, meaning he is other than us as well. And reverence is born out of the choice to hold both of these truths simultaneously, rather than just to lean to one or the other. Reverence is born out of the choice to hold both simultaneously. And so let's look at these verses together and invite them to really search our own attitude toward God. And so if you have a Bible this morning, we're going to uh, pick up in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, look at the first seven verses here. We're going to call this message Approaching God with Reverence, and the teacher is going to highlight three signs that we have actually forgotten God's transcendence, okay? Three signs that we have forgotten God's transcendence. Here's the first one. If you're taking notes, write this down. Number one, we give little thought to how we come to God. We just give little thought to how we come to God. Look at verse 1. He starts by saying this, Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Better to approach in obedience than to offer the sacrifice as fools do, for they ignorantly do wrong. All right, so the teacher here anticipates the regular rhythm of God's people worshiping in their temple at that time. And he starts by reminding us that the attitude with which we approach God is equally important to the activities that mark our worship of him. Let me say that one more time because that's really important for us to understand this morning. The attitude with which we approach God is equally important to the activities that mark our worship of him. And this is why he says, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. He's saying when you go to worship, Pay attention to your heart. Pay attention to the attitude that is motivating your worship. Make sure you're not just going through the motions. He says that true heartfelt obedience is superior to empty sacrifices. And the truth is the teacher of Ecclesiastes is not the only Old Testament author to provide Israel with some version of this warning. Another example would be the prophet Samuel. He confronted the disobedience of King Saul saying, does the Lord take pleasure in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? Look, to obey is better than sacrifice. That's 1 Samuel 15, 22. In Proverbs 21, 3, Solomon wrote, doing what is righteous and just is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. And so this issue of right activity, wrong attitude, is the same issue that plagued the Pharisees of the New Testament. Right action, wrong attitude. The Pharisees, if you remember anything about them, you have to remember that they were meticulous about their sacrifices. They were meticulous about their religious rituals. In fact, they were so concerned with violating the letter of God's law that they dug what I would call a moat of rules to protect the walls of their laws. So imagine a castle of old with great walls. Oftentimes, as an even further defense, moats were dug to keep an enemy from threatening those defensive walls. And that's what the Pharisees did with their rules. They had hundreds, some estimates say over 400, extra rules that kept them from violating the letter of God's law. And the problem was, despite how meticulous they were in that obedience or bowing down to the letter of the law, they missed the entire heart of everything God said. 
And so here's the lesson in the teacher's warning. There is a shadow side to all spiritual practice. There's a shadow side to all spiritual practice. See, more often than not, the difference between legalistic religion, and I don't care what form it takes, whether it's Mormonism or Christianity or pick your thing, all forms of legalistic religion, there is the difference between legalistic religion on the one hand and the way of Jesus on the other isn't usually what we do. It's usually why we do it. I mean, think about it. Legalists and followers of the way of Jesus both gather for weekly worship. Almost all religious people do that. All of us read scripture. All of us pray. All of us seek to live in community. The difference is rarely what we do and more often why we do it. Legalism does good things believing that those things make them righteous. Followers of Jesus do these good things in response to his grace, believing that those things, all they do is position us for transforming relationship with him. That is their purpose. They don't make us righteous. So the former is born out of self-righteousness and the latter out of reverence. So the difference is rarely the activity and usually the attitude. And so an important question to consider this week might be, How can you cultivate a mindful awareness of your heart toward God? How can you cultivate a mindful awareness of your heart toward God? The first sign that we have forgotten God's transcendence is that we give very little thought to how we come to God. Now, the second sign is that we talk at God more than we listen to him. We talk at God more than we listen to him. Listen to verse 2 and 3. He says, do not be hasty to speak and do not be impulsive to make a speech before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth. So let your words be few. Just as dreams accompany much labor, so also a fool's voice comes with many words. So the teacher's overarching point here seems relatively clear. Because God is in heaven and he says, and we are on earth, he's emphasizing God's transcendence there. He's infinite, we are finite, we should be more inclined to listen than we are to speak. And so the teacher here is really echoing God himself. In Isaiah 29, 13, God said, these people approach me with their speeches to honor me with lip service, yet their hearts are far from me, and human rules direct their worship of me. And so this again reflects a lack of reverence. So I want you to just imagine with me for a second someone that you deeply respect or someone that you admire. Take just a second, bring a face to mind, uh, maybe somebody that you even revere. So it could be, I don't know, some leader of the past or current leader. It could be a a parent, uh, someone that you actually know. It could be a celebrity of some kind, but just someone that comes to mind that you think about that you really revere. One of the first people, as I was doing this this week, that came to mind for me uh, was a man, many of you will know his name, was Eugene Peterson. Uh, He was a pastor, wrote dozens of books. He's the one that translated the message, paraphrased translation of scripture. And there are a number of reasons that I deeply admire him. For one thing, he died still following God faithfully, which has become harder and harder to find in Christian leaders. And so for the entirety of his life, 
He never served more than 300 people as pastor, so he never worked to build some sort of giant religious empire to himself. And despite all that, God used his writing more than anything else in a very, very profound way. And so more than anyone um, I've ever read about, I admire the way that he walked with God and sought to really help other people do the same. I admire his commitment to the contemplative life. I admire his pastoral imagination, seeing the job as helping people relate with God more than building a religious empire. Now, sadly, he passed away in 2018, and uh, I did never get a chance to meet him. But if I had the chance, I can promise you that I would not fill that time with a bunch of my own words. I would really, really want to hear from him because of my deep respect for him. And so we might say it like this. We long to hear from those we revere. We long to hear from those we revere. My kids have been making fun of me because I write these mantras that rhyme like that, and they make fun of me, but I've been telling them, like, you guys are going to say them to your kids. You remember them. You quote them back to me, so it works. So you can think that's cheesy, but you're going to be at home today going like, I do long to hear from those I I revere, (laughs) okay? So it works. But listen, one of the great deficiencies of so much teaching on prayer within the Protestant tradition of Christianity, which is the stream that we find ourselves in, one of the great weaknesses or deficiencies in our teaching on prayer is the emphasis on talking to the exclusion of listening. Think about anything that you've ever read or heard on prayer. Almost everything is all about how to share your thoughts with God, which is obviously an essential component of prayer. But imagine any other relationship that was only comprised exclusively of you sharing your thoughts with another person. Some of you are like, I have a friend like that. I don't love it. It's not my favorite. Because that's not how communication works, especially when the one with whom we're communicating is the transcendent God of the universe. And so another question for you to consider this week would be, what would it look like for you to begin practicing listening prayer? where not every moment is filled with your voice. But there is an opportunity for you to quiet your own heart and mind and to actually listen to what God might want to say to you. The second sign we have forgotten God's transcendence is that we talk at God more than we listen to him. And then finally, number three is we try to manipulate God with vows. We try to manipulate God with vows. Look at verse four. It says, when you make a vow to God, don't delay fulfilling it because he does not delight in fools. Fulfill what you vow. Better that you do not vow than that you vow and not fulfill it. Do not let your mouth bring guilt on you and do not say in the presence of the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry with your words and destroy the work of your hands? For many dreams bring futility, so do many words. Therefore, fear God. And remember, that word fear there does not speak of like a, like a terror kind of fear. It specifically refers to reverence and awe. And so here the teacher imagines someone going to the temple and making some sort of vow to God. Now, in their day and time, uh, a person took a vow by committing to undertake some kind of an action, uh, usually offer a sacrifice of some sort in hopes that God would respond by fulfilling some specific request. 
And so the teacher's instruction in the midst of this is twofold. Number one, if you make a vow, fulfill it quickly. Don't delay. Don't make a vow and then ignore it because this ran the risk of drawing God's anger and him potentially even hindering the work of a person's hands. So if you make a vow, fulfill it. Second, he says, better yet, don't even make vows to God. Which, if you think about it, very much echoes the counsel of Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, verses 33 to 37. Jesus said, don't take an oath at all. Remember, he says, just let your yes be yes and your no be no. Just be the kind of person who does the things that you commit to do without having to take oaths, without having to take vows all of the time. And now my guess is in this, most of us are not consciously making a bunch of vows to God. Like most of us maybe, maybe have at some point, but, but by and large, I'd venture a guess that you aren't coming here in particular every single week and going, if you do X, Lord, I promise I will do Y. But here's what I would say. The motive behind vows and much of our lives is exactly the same. In that, we believe that our behavior should inform how God works. And here's what I mean by that. If you have ever experienced something in your life that felt ill-deserved, okay? Something in your life that felt ill-deserved, some difficulty, some trial, some uncomfortable season of some sort. The poor Weebies have had like a family plague for like two months, okay? Something like that where they're just like, why are we sick forever now? But you have something that you experience in your life that feels ill-deserved. If you've ever thought, you know what, God? This isn't fair. This just isn't fair. I've been faithful to you. I have done what you have asked. I go to church. I pray. I read my Bible. I try to live the way you've told me to live. How could you do this to me? How could you let this happen to me? Now notice the belief that that response reveals. We believe that if we do what we deem is our part to follow God, then he is somehow obligated to do whatever we deem is his part. And typically, this means giving us what we want or keeping us comfortable. And I would say that this is very dangerous territory because it attempts to manipulate God's hand rather than surrender to it. And that is not reverence. So the final sign that we have forgotten God's transcendence is we try to manipulate God potentially even still with vows. So as, as has been our pattern, uh, I want to close with some practical ideas for all of this. How do we move toward a deeper reverence for God? Because some of the things that like other traditions have built in, like you've never walked into this place and looked around and been like, this makes me feel so reverent being in this tiny closet of a room. Like it doesn't, this is not a cathedral, right? We don't have that built into the way that we worship. We don't have a 9,000 pipe organ. We have Matt singing faithfully, but it's not exactly the same, no offense, as a 9,000 pipe organ. So <clears throat> how do we cultivate deeper reverence of God? What are ways that we can do that in our own lives? Because again, like everything, having to do with our spiritual formation, it has to be forged. It has to be developed. It doesn't just happen. So how do we move toward deeper reverence for God? Here's a few ideas for you. Number one is expand your understanding of God. Always expand your understanding of God. And we do this through a multitude of means. The most simple and important, I would argue, is reading scripture and always asking 
this foundational question. What does this tell me about God? If that's the only question that you asked the scriptures when you read, you'd be way ahead of the way that so many of us have been conditioned to read the scriptures. What does this tell me about God? And then sit with that question. Look for an answer to that question. Sit with the implications of the answer to that question. Additionally, we can also study the attributes of God, his character, his nature. Two books that I would recommend uh, that are not on my floor upstairs. You'd have to actually buy these two. Uh, two books I'd recommend, both by a woman named Jen Wilkin. One is called None Like Him. The other is called In His Image. None Like Him and In His Image. Uh, the former is all about God's, uh, what theologians call his incommunicable attributes. So these are the aspects of God that he does not share with humanity. This is the, the aspects of his character and nature that, that, that make him other than us. The other book is about his communicable attributes. These are the traits that God has chosen to share with us. And so first, we expand our understanding of God. If we want to develop a deeper reverence for him, we expand our understanding of who he is because the bigger he is in our minds, the more we will revere him in our hearts. So that's the first. Expand your understanding of God. Secondly, experiment with the contemplative spiritual practices. Experiment with the contemplative spiritual practices. So these are the practices, again, that specifically are designed to help us to slow down and to actually be with Jesus. So things like silence and solitude, Lectio Divina, the prayer of examen, spiritual direction, all of these are designed to position us to recognize the presence of God in our everyday lives, to actually experience him. And if we look at the examples in scripture of people who actually experience the presence of God, we learn that nothing provokes a sense of reverence like an actual experience of God's presence with us. This is why in scripture, the people who come face to face with God's manifest presence in some way almost always have the exact same bodily response. They almost always fall face down because that's the body's reverent response to God's presence. And I would say the way that, again, so much of modern, especially evangelicalism, has not emphasized these more contemplative practices that's one of the reasons why so many of us have had so few actual experiences of the presence of God in our lives and why we don't feel like we have an actual relationship with him. How do you have a relationship with someone that you purely know things about but have never actually experienced an interaction with? And so these simple practices position us to be able to experience that very thing. So experiment with the contemplative spiritual practices. And then finally engage what provokes a sense of transcendence. Engage what provokes a sense of transcendence. So maybe there, for you, there's just something transcendent about being in nature. Maybe you get in the mountains for a hike or you go skiing or snowboarding and there's something about that that you stand at the, at the ocean and there's something about that that provokes this deep sense of transcendence. Maybe certain pieces of music provoke that sense within you. Maybe like me, sitting in a cathedral quiets your soul with a sense of how big God is. This is one way that we can physically position ourselves 
in spaces and situations that allow us to engage what provokes a sense of transcendence within us. And so remember, our attitude toward God informs the way we approach him in relationship. And the truth is there is no one-time silver bullet to this attitude of reverence. It's about finding ways over and over in life to move us toward deeper reverence for God. And so let's always look for ways to expand our understanding of him. Let's always be looking for ways to experiment with contemplative practices, and they may not all resonate with you, and that's totally fine. Find what works for you. And then engage with situations and spaces that provoke a sense of transcendence within you. So let's pray. We'll have a time of reflection and communion, and then we'll do some Q&A together. Will you pray with me? God, we acknowledge that even in this moment, if we don't have a real felt sense of your greatness, of your transcendence, that you are still exactly who the scriptures say you are, that you do reign over and above all things and all people at all times in all places. And so, Lord, what we're asking for this morning is a greater alignment between what we feel and what is, in fact, true. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would continue to expand our own experience and understanding of your transcendence, and that through that experience, Lord, you would continue to cultivate and to nurture and to develop and to form an attitude of reverence within us. We thank you that you are our Abba, our intimate Father who is near, who is within us and around us, that there's nowhere we go that we are ever outside of your presence. You are near to us. You understand us from the inside out better than we will ever understand ourselves. And you are the transcendent God of the universe, and you are worthy of our reverence. And one of the greatest reasons for reverence is that you, Jesus, chose to lay down your life on the cross for us so that we could be reconciled to relationship with you. And so we thank you for that. We ask that you would increase this attitude of reverence within our hearts. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.